0: Welcome to Uxbridge Beat, a podcast where we feature the who's who of Uxbridge, Ontario. My name is Scott Campbell.
1: My name is Jennifer Nevu Campbell. Lisa Lamray is a local resident who has recently published a brand new novel, The Feather of Ma'at.
0: This is Lisa's first book in what will be a trilogy focusing on ancient Egyptian royalty with The Feather of Ma'at, focusing on the reign of Queen Nefertiti.
1: The story itself is not of light content, and while Nefertiti is a very strong female protagonist, the story examines greed, lust, murder, and rape.
0: Let's find out now about the author behind this new book and how Nefertiti navigates her journey into the afterlife as she justifies her living choices.
1: Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me today. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell
2: us a little bit about your book. Well, my name is Lisa Lamre. My book is called The Feather of Ma'at. It is the story of Queen Nefertiti of Egypt. She's going through the Egyptian underworld and she has to justify her life to the gods, uh, justify all the choices she's made and she faces this test in the underworld where her heart has to be weighed against the feather of maat which is the feather of truth and cosmic balance and if her heart is lighter than the feather then she can go on and enjoy this beautiful afterlife and if not she will cease to exist forever
1: that's pretty heavy <laughs> <laughs> and i don't want to give it away i'm not going to i'm not going to have any spoiler alerts i have read the book i really really enjoy it tell me about the characters
2: and maybe one of your favorite characters. Well, my favorite is Nefertiti, for yeah. sure. She's the protagonist. She's the, also the first-person narrator. Uh, her husband is Akhenaten, and anyone who has a passing interest in Egyptology will recognize that name because he was, he's considered history's first monotheist, so he, he gets a lot of attention. <laughs> he's, he, he lived, or he caused the one and only artistic and religious revolution in the entire history of the country. Okay, talk to me about that. Well, Egyptian history was very, very long. It was the longest continuous uh, urban civilization in the world. It lasted 3000 years. In that whole time, the art was relatively stable. You can recognize it, whether it's from 3000 BC or 50 BC, it looks recognizably Egyptian. The religion stayed mostly the same, same gods. Some became more popular at certain times than others. But when Akhenaten came along, he threw that right out the window. He elevated one god above all the others. He actually tried to eradicate many of them, and he also changed the art. It adopted a much more naturalistic style. And there was a very specific style in which he had himself and his family portrayed. And it was so stylized that Egyptologists have been arguing for more than a century over whether or not he had some kind of congenital deformation because the heads were very elongated, the chest was sunken, the hips were very rounded. It looked actually quite androgynous, and there are cases where you can't tell if the statue is of Akhenaten or Nefertiti. And do you think that, or do, sorry, maybe not you, but
1: do Egyptologists believe that he single-handedly had that sort of power over the
2: art world, or was that just an influence in his time? Obviously, he wasn't making the art himself. Right. But... It, there was no precedent, as far as I'm aware, there was no precedent before. And after he was gone, he, the kings who came after him didn't like him much, so they tried to eradicate all trace of his existence. So with his, uh, I'm trying to think how many kings, to, anyway, with King Tut, who might have been the second or third king after Akhenaten, was we where you see the end of that artistic style. You see a little bit of it at the beginning of his reign, and then it, fades out and it's never seen again. Now, in the in the book, we
1: it's obviously from Nefertiti's point of view. How did she come to him?
2: No, I guess historically. Historically, nobody knows really. Nobody knows for sure who she was, where she came from. It has been suggested that she was a foreign princess given to either Akhenaten or to his father. And one of the things that that might be evidence of this is her name, which means the beautiful one has arrived. Mm. So they think arrived from where right right Uh, on the other hand there is a woman Tay who is named as her nurse so if she arrived as a foreigner as an adult to the court she wouldn't have needed a wet nurse and that nurse may have been a title for a stepmother so that's why I actually made Tay her stepmother I took that point of view
1: so with that in mind you've got lots of historical reference but then (laughs) now it's completely fiction yes How did that process work of intertwining
2: your research process with the fiction, with the story? Well, there's so little that's actually known for sure of this time period, because it's 3,000, a little more than 3,000 years ago. And despite the fact that the Egyptians kept a lot of written records, what we have is mostly official propaganda, Mm -hmm. what's on temple walls. And so there's a lot of things we don't know. Akhenaten's mummy has never been 100% identified. There's one that a lot of Egyptologists think is him. Nefertiti's has never been identified positively. There has been kind of rumors of this one or that one over the years, but no one's been able to make a definitive connection there either. So without a tomb, we don't have any, any records of when she died or, you know, what happened to her after Akhenaten's reign even. So I had to make a lot of stuff up. There are little bits of evidence here and there, For example, there's a statue of her that shows her as a mature woman. And so in order for her to have gotten to that age, she would have had to outlive her husband. There's also a reference to her in year 17 of his reign, which is the last year of his reign. So it's fairly certain that she at least lived as long as he did and possibly more. There's evidence of a pharaoh by the name of Neferneferuaten. And it's believed by, I think, most Egyptologists that it was her. Yeah. Well, with the name
1: connection, that's one of the things I've noticed with the book is that all of the names are connected through, whether it's the first part of the name or the last part of the name, I guess, even like
2: the syllables. You're probably referring to the daughters. Yeah. Yeah. They all had, Aten was the name of the god. So their parents named them, gave them names to glorify the god Aten. Okay, and was that just common? Was that only a royalty practice, or would that have been a general practice? It was not only royalty. There are records of nobles. We don't have a lot of records of peasants, but there are certainly records of nobles and merchants and and craftspeople having names that included names of gods. So I don't. Let's say I don't know anything,
1: and that's in fact true, about. Egyptology, about the history or anything like that, why would this book appeal to somebody who has no knowledge
2: of that stuff? Well, it's a very interesting story. I think it was very... Of course, I certainly think it was interesting. <laughs> I think it was
1: interesting, too. To me, it read... And as it went mm-hmm. along, and I, I, as I'm thinking about this, it's going to sound silly coming out of my mouth. It was a little bit of a soap opera in mm-hmm. terms of the characters and how it. And the other thing is, could have been made into an opera. It's you know, marriage and sex and death and gore it, and murder and all this sort of stuff. It, it has That's opera. It has been.
2: Oh, it has been. There okay. is an opera, and I can't think of its name, but it's it's centered on Akhenaten. And that makes sense. Yeah, there is one. And I, at one point somewhere, found the pictures online of a performance of it and they're all, uh, the performers all dressed as Egyptians.
1: I had a friend who who used to just listen to audiobooks Mm -hmm. and he would only listen to books that were written by male authors, read by male readers. And if it was a female writer, it still had to be read by a male reader because the female I guess the chick point of view or that, that, that mm. voice just didn't appeal to a male reader. And mm. to me, this reads so female only because of how strong mm. Nefertiti is. And for me as a and who I am, I appreciated her so much. I just loved her. I thought mm. she was fantastic.
2: Do you think this book in that regard will appeal to men? I think it largely appeals, appeals to women. I think it largely does because it's the female point of view.
1: I think as a mom too, it was really tough to read for me. And with, without giving too much away, she has to protect her daughters from essentially having to bear their own children from her her husband, right? Yeah, from their yeah. father. So so there is rape and there is incest and, and really as a mom, stuff that makes you go, oh, but at the same time, I can't even begin to place myself in a royal family situation where everybody has a place and everybody has a role and things are just the way that they're supposed to be. So how do, you,
2: how do you reconcile that as not only a writer, but maybe as a person? Well, I think it would have been very difficult to live as a royal person no matter what country and no matter what time period because okay. there's always someone trying to get power and you're always having to defend yourself. And I think it's very unlikely that any, any of these people were ever what we would think of as good people. Because in order to stay in power, you had to do bad things. I, yeah, I, and, and I can definitely see that. So
1: for us to impose our own sort of belief system or anything like that mm-hmm. onto this or, or morals and values is, right, is, right. is not necessarily,
2: and, you know. I, I am going to say that in my book, Aten viol- uh, violates his own cultural norms. In uh, what way? Well, it was normal for Egyptian royalty to have sibling marriages. Okay. It was not normal to have father-daughter marriages. That was not, it, it wasn't unheard of, mm-hmm. but it would have been, usually when it happened, it would have been more of a symbolic thing to elevate the, the daughter into power. What's next for The Feather of Mott? Well, there is a sequel. I do not have a release date yet, but it's with the publisher. And there is going to be a third book, which I am working on right now. So it is a trilogy? It's a trilogy. And mm-hmm. will it go into audiobooks at all? I have no idea. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and ha- t- um, tell us about the, the
2: publication process. Was that easy? Was that challenging? This is your first, first book, yeah? No, it's not. Oh. I, I self-published one in 2013, and that experience taught me that I didn't want to do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> because... It's a, lot of, it's a lot of work, and you, you don't have any support at all for marketing. With a pu- traditional publisher, at least they're doing something. The author has to do most of it these days anyway, but at least the publisher has a community of people that they can sell to or publicize to. Uh, but you're completely on your own as a self-publisher, and uh, with fiction especially, the competition is just fierce. There are, at the time I published it 10 years ago, there were 2 million titles on Amazon. Now there are five million. Oh my. Yeah. And self-publishing has a bad rip and not without cause because there's no gatekeeper. Anyone can put anything up. And as I found when I was trying to support other self-published authors, a lot of them don't spend the time and the money to get professional editing done. So there may be spelling errors, grammar errors, there may be significant issues with the plot and plot holes and you know, things changing halfway through the book with no explanation, that kind of thing. And so it's hard to get people to trust you as a self-published author if they've had experiences with other self-published authors that haven't made sure to produce a good product. Who is your editor? For the first book, her name is Sherry Hinman. She is a professional editor and I had a professional copy setter and, and graphic designer as well.
1: How long was the, the process? So you would have started researching Mm -hmm. And then how long was that process into
2: the writing process, then into the publication process? Well, it depends on when you count the starting date. Either this took 30 years or it took two years. (laughs) 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 So I started researching Egyptology in high school just for fun. I hadn't, at that time, at first, any plans to write anything. But in high school, I started writing a similar story centered on Nefertiti's daughter, actually, The story of this artistic and religious revolution that her husband instituted but, you know, I was 15 and I didn't have the discipline to sit down and write a book. And I didn't actually know how to do it either. So I did actually write it as a short story and it got published in the high school newspaper. Nice. Yeah, it actually won the short story contest for that year. you got to start somewhere, yeah. right? <laughs> in the tiger's roar. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so 30 years or two years,
1: depending on yeah. how you look at it. But when I
2: went back, uh, I had decided Nefertiti was the better character to use if I wanted to tell the story of this religious revolution, because she was old enough to be there at the start mm-hmm. and at the end, whereas mm-hmm. the daughter was born part way through, so she wouldn't right. have seen the beginning. And so, had, you know, I continually was reading Egyptology, so I didn't really have a lot of research to do in the beginning. So what I did was I first wrote the book, and that took about the, maybe a year to get a first draft. And then I went back and I I read through my first draft and I noted everywhere that I needed to research. So I went back and did all the little things like the the housing construction, the clothing, perfumes, food, and all of that kind of thing. And then I put that into the second draft. So it took about two years to get it ready to submit for publication. As a musician, I wake up in the night hearing stuff that I'm rehearsing, like
1: mm. stuff that I know I have to get through or I have to mm. like just I have no control of <laughs> Happens when my brain musics, basically. As an author, are you dreaming these characters? Are you, is your brain constantly going on this?
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, not at night so much, but I do a lot of driving. So while I'm driving, I often, my mind is wandering to my characters. Where do you see this going for you now? Or what would you hope to happen for this book now? I would really like for it to be a bestseller. (laughs) (laughs) that's what i would love for that to happen uh chances are probably won't but i would really like at Mm -hmm. least locally for it to be known
1: it's a fabulous book i love it
2: it's a great Mm -hmm. story
1: i have a a tough time personally with reading stuff that i have to work at where Mm -hmm. i have to kind of go back and what did i miss and i have to like rewind because i miss steps But this one's an easy read in terms of the story and how it progresses and what it builds to. And so kudos for that. I really quite enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. We're going to move on to what we do called Rapid Fire. And you don't have to give me short answers. You can give me long answers as well. Dogs or cats? Both. (laughs) I like
2: animals. I like all animals. Uh, Favorite Egyptian god? Sekhmet. And talk to us about Sekhmet. She is the goddess of war and pestilence, but also the god of healing. And she is Nefertiti's god in the book. And
1: she uh, is displayed as a lion, a lioness. Yeah. She was lovely. Yes. Winter or summer? Fall. Lisa, (laughs) you're not helping me out here. I don't like either winter. Winter's (laughs) too cold and summer's too hot.
2: (laughs) Your favorite restaurant in town? Slab town. Why? I love their cider. Their food is very good too. The food is very good, but I like going in and trying another cider I've never tried before. Who's your favorite author? Oh, I've got a few. Diana Gabaldon is one of my favorites. Marion Zimmer Bradley, uh, who wrote Mists of Avalon. Barbara Kingsolver. And if you were going to fangirl over an author that comes into town, for example, who's it going to be? Oh, that could be any of a dozen. <laughs> Philippa Gregory was due to be in town just as COVID started, and so she had to cancel, and I was all ready to fangirl her. <laughs> <laughs> who's, your, who's your least favorite author? Oh, I don't know that I have a least favorite, because if I don't like them, I don't read them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: There's that.
2: <laughs> now, you had said uh,
1: Nefertiti's your favorite character in the book. Yes. Who's your least fa- favorite? Oh, Akhenaten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was it
2: easy to write him bad like as a bad person yes it was yeah i found it easy i think this is going to be a revelation for a lot of people who who know a little bit about him because he's usually portrayed as being this very enlightened spiritual person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he was a downright jerk in this book anyways
1: i didn't like him at all (laughs) what's the best part of being an author
2: uh going to work in my pajamas (laughs) (laughs) and what's the worst part Oh, uh, probably writing the synopsis. That's Why? What you you write that when you're trying to pitch the book to someone. Okay. And it's, you've got to get it down to, you've got to condense your whole novel into one page. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. It is really tough. And are you totally in charge of that or does your editor really? No, I, I am totally in charge of that. But yes. if I don't do it well, agents and publishers are just going to, dismiss it without even looking at the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. first
1: impression, right? Yeah. If you could speak to one person who is alive right now, who you'd like to spend some
2: time with and garner some wisdom from, who would it be? Uh, Munish Pabrai. Who's that? He is an investor. He's one of the best in the world. And he's got this really interesting philosophy on investment and also I think on life. (laughs) And one person who's passed away that you'd like some more time with? My grandfather. Why is that? He was just such a lovely man. Was he a writer? No, he was a mechanic. Where do you get your writing from? I have no idea. Really? (laughs) I don't know. My, neither, well my father wrote quite a bit, but not fiction. He wrote nonfiction. My grandmother was a poet, but she never wrote prose. What was your um, education post high school? I had one year of university and that was it, and it was in languages. That was enough. Yeah, clearly. When you die, what do you hope the afterlife holds for you? Oh, I hope it's the Egyptian afterlife i do the field of reeds where everything is beautiful and sunny and not too hot all day long and there yeah and what <laughs> gates are you going to have to pass through and how are you going to how are you going to explain yourself <laughs> i'm going to do what all of the egyptians did i'm just going to lie <laughs> no i never did that i never did that i never did that it's interesting that you say
1: that because when i read that part of the book i was like but Now you're in deep trouble because you're lying about all this stuff, Nefertiti. They're going to (laughs) know.
2: Apparently the Egyptian gods are not that bright.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for spending the time. I'm going to share this
2: one. Where can we get this book? It's available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Any bookstore in the world should be able to order it in, Mm -hmm. which includes Blue Heron. And can we get some uh, Uxbridge specials
1: on this at all? How can we get this out to our Uxbridge friends in a wide marketing way? Maybe we'll get a hold of um, Shelley over at Blue Heron and see if she can
2: order in several copies. We could do that. I have been talking with Blue Heron about having a book launch, which I know is a little bit late, but they're in the middle of Book Drunkard Mm -hmm. as of the time we're recording this. Mm -hmm. So I've had to wait until they're (laughs) through that before I can arrange a book launch there. Thank you so much. I would love to see this even made into <clears throat>
1: one a mini series. Once oh, you've me got, me too. Here. Wouldn't that <laughs> be neat? it be, it'd be it's, and it's so visual. The whole book is yeah. so visual. It would be it would be really great to watch. Thank you yeah. so much I, for spending the time. You know
2: what? Ironic here, the woman on the cover, yeah, looks very much like Spanish actor Alba Flores. Okay, and, and who is the woman on the cover? I have no it? idea. It's okay. just a, a someone the the graphic designer probably a stock photo. And Alba Flores is the one I had picked for Nefertiti. I thought if I could choose anyone, it would be her.
1: Well, and, and then we get this cover
2: and, there is, well, and it all came like together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing the time. And I'm, I look forward to giving some Christmas presents to okay. people this year. <laughs>
0: remember a few years ago when we didn't have to do anything and we just sat at home and uh, I actually went and did a college course so that I could do a radio thing. And then we talked about how we should do a podcast and I didn't have any place to go. So it was really easy. and Now we're doing a podcast and apparently I have to go and coach at a Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament. And that's why I wasn't involved in an episode this time.
1: That's okay. I think we did a, a good job. Just me and Lisa, Chatting about the book, plus I read the book, you didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, there's that. (laughs) Yeah. But I I don't know. I think even when she says that the audience is definitely female from just gathering the conversation, I can totally see where that is. And even when you look at the cover, but I don't know. There's also a part where we did an interview with Shelly Macbeth, and she recommended that we go and read lessons in chemistry. And I liked that book. And that was supposed to be female oriented too, like for a female audience. But I I thought it was a good book.
1: Then keep an open mind and... I'll have you read this one. It's on the coffee table still.
0: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, Morning is Broken. So there's Aaron Davis's book. And it doesn't look like a real macho book either. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I like that one too. So yeah, it, it's very possible that this could go for a male audience too. My dad's interested in it.
1: So for Uxbridge readers, if you want to head on over to Blue Heron Books and request to get Lisa Lamre's book In the Feather of Maat, you can also order it on Amazon. It would be an easy Christmas gift. We are a few weeks away from Christmas, so that would be an easy gift.
0: Yeah, and you said that you were looking at it as a Christmas gift. So what are your main motivational ideas behind that? Like, Who would you... Out are the people that we know, who do you think, well, maybe we shouldn't do that because it
1: was a Christmas gift. Yeah, we won't do that Christmas <laughs> okay, gift, away. But, but, but why, I think I see what you're asking here. I, I think you're asking what's the tone of the story and who would it appeal to essentially. Yeah. I think that the story itself is a really easy read, even though the content isn't light. The only thing that I struggled with is that when I read, I hear my own voice in my head that sounds silly. I hear voices in my head, but when I... No, read, no, I,
0: I, no. To your I, husband, it ta- sounds totally right.
1: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you ever d- read something and hear your own voice reading the words?
0: I don't know. When I read a book, I like when you guys were talking about how it could be an opera, I sometimes I see the movie in my head. I don't know if that makes any sense, but and I maybe that's why I get disappointed when I see sometimes when movies are made out of books,
1: Anyways, all that to say that I found that the only stumbling block for me personally was I had difficulty in pronouncing the names of some of the characters. And so when I would get there, I couldn't always understand how I was supposed to read their names.
0: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But but the the story itself is... But the
1: story itself is actually a very easy, quick read. It's very soap opera-ish in how it unravels and uh, builds to a pretty intense climax. And yeah, there's some pretty interesting graphic
0: sections. Did you ever think about writing a book?
1: When I was little, I wanted to be a children's fiction writer. I liked just writing little stories and things like that. But no, nothing ever that moved beyond that little kid fantasy.
0: Yeah, I think it takes a huge amount of courage like not only just to go well to write it for sure because that's a huge commitment right there like you can even hear when lisa's talking about it, it took well she said 30 years but you know, like a couple of years at least so that's a lot of work and then you're putting yourself out there like that's the one thing that i notice even when we go to your recitals or um when we go to concerts like, there's a like i remember one situation at Sunland music festival and i won't name the name but i remember one of your students getting up and singing and just being so amazing at what she did and yet she wasn't judged as far as what the audience thought or what we thought was accordingly and, and that takes a lot of guts when you've got anything artistic like whether you're writing or singing or performing and then to be putting yourself out there just because obviously there's going to be open criticism and it's not all nice
1: So congratulations, Lisa, on putting yourself out there. I really enjoyed the book. I am looking forward to the next one in the trilogy coming out and finding out what happens to Nefertiti's daughters.
0: This has been a Camsul Broadcasting production. Listen to us with AirPods, and you can have Jennifer's voice in your head, too.